Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. State Representative David Tyson Smith had a crash course into the Missouri legislature. After he was elected earlier this year in a special election, the Columbia Democrat had to deal with a host of complicated and controversial topics. And Smith joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to provide his first impressions of state legislative life and his goals for the 45th House District. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining us via Zoom from the quality city, Columbia, Missouri. Our special guest today is the representative for Missouri's 45th House District. Yeah, David Tyson Smith. Thank you so much for for coming on the program. Uh, Before we dive into your biography and um, some of your priorities, Can you just give our listeners a reminder of what the 45th district encompasses geographically? Sure. So it's basically Northeast Columbia. Um, So if you're familiar with areas in Columbia, you're talking the north starts the northeast areas around Blue Ridge Road, and then it runs south through campus, picking up Mizzou, a little bit of east campus, and then it runs south all the way to stadium. Um, So the football stadium is not in my district, but the campus is in my district and then it goes west um so west out ash uh all the way almost up into clean scales so kind of that northeast so some whirly uh ash street west ash um but it doesn't go as far as clean scales so tell us a little bit about yourself um i know that you are an attorney by trade but i don't think you were just Mm -hmm. born an attorney i think you probably had a backstory before you got to this point. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in the crazy world of Missouri politics. Sure. Yeah. Well, so I grew up in Columbia. Uh, I went to, you know, Ridgeway Elementary here, Oakland Junior High, Hickman High School. Uh, And then I went to Mizzou. And it was interesting because really at Mizzou was when, you know, my first few years, I was a little bored, uh, uninterested, I still hadn't found really what you would say my calling or my purpose. And um, at some point at that time, I realized that um, there's a lot of injustice in the world and uh, political injustice. And I and it's at that point, I thought, you know what, um, I'm going to uh, go to law school uh, to really learn the law. You know, I actually didn't really think about practicing. I thought, well, I'm going to learn the law just because I felt like that would help me uh, fight for issues of social justice. And so 
after graduating Mizzou, I actually went to Tulane Law School in New Orleans. And so I was there and um, I actually was planning on coming back, but I was offered a job suing tobacco companies in the New Orleans area. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to try this. And uh, it sounded exciting and, you know, going against big tobacco. So I stayed there after graduation. So I was down there about a total of five years in the area. And I thought, you know, it's time to come back. You know, Columbia is my home and uh, this is kind of where I wanted to be. So I moved back uh, to Columbia about 20-ish years ago. And um, I ended up practicing. I started a practice. I, I saw, you know, just the, the power of how you can help people, issues like criminal defense, personal injury. And so uh, my law partner, I'm Leah Parnell, started our firm about 15 years ago, Smith and Parnell. And so we've been going at it about 15 years. And, and then, you know, I had the opening to run and um, I thought this would be a good opportunity to do that. I had been involved in some other issues. Uh, you know, I helped establish the Citizens Police Review Board here in Columbia. There was, the police were really using a lot of excessive force about 10 years ago. And there was a lot of complaints among the citizens. And so we kind of banded together and helped establish this board, although, you know, it still needs some work, but that really got me on the trajectory of running for office just because I think people became aware of, of you know, some of the values that I had as far as fighting for justice. And so when this opening came up, um, when Kip Kendrick was stepping down, I decided to now is the best time to move forward. So when I first met you at the Capitol, I promised the show was not going to be 35 minutes about how you're the first black person to represent Columbia in the Missouri legislature. But sure. it is a sure, really sure. to me, it is a really important designation as somebody who lived there. And I want you to kind of reflect sure. on this accomplishment and what do you think it means for race relations in in not only Columbia, but Boone County as a whole? You know, I think it's important. And, you know, I think it's fair to bring that up. I don't have any problem with that. And people have said that before, like, well, does that bother you if, if somebody brings it up? And, and not at all, because, you know, people will come into the office, you know, well, first, I didn't know that. When I, when I announced that I was running, I didn't know that there had never been another Black representative from Boone County. And Gene Robertson, um, who's, I believe he's a professor at the university, he's a friend of mine, during the midst of the campaign, he told me that. He said, you know, there's never been another. And so I started doing some research and, and found that to be true. Um, I think it's meant a lot for people in the community. You know, people will, like I had a woman come in my office and almost in tears and she's wanting to hug me. And she says, hey, you know, um, you know here's some money. I, I can't give you more, but, you know, I just want to help. And this, you know, means so much. And, and just, you know, wanting to give me a hug just because of that. I think it just excites a lot of people. I think when you walk into, you know, just campaigning and going into different businesses or even going to black businesses and people see you and, and they're excited. Um, you know, it's interesting. There was a Juneteenth parade, um, the first parade in Columbia, Juneteenth parade, and I participated in it. And my daughter was there with me and people were saying, you know, as I was walking, I walked, the source was driving and she said that people were coming, hey, is that Tyson? Is that, like, people were just wanting to see, is that, is that who I've heard about? And, and so it meant a lot. Like, I would walk into, say, a Black barbershop, and just the love. People would just, I wouldn't have to, hey, would you take a picture? People would just come up to me, and they'd have my sign, and they were excited. And so the enthusiasm was really incredible. I think, I think it's good for Columbia. And I think it's good, really not so much for me. Uh, that's not really the issue. I think more for the young people to see that, right? Because... You can tell a young person, hey, you can do whatever you want and you can succeed. But if you don't really see it, then you don't really believe it. And so I think for kind of the youth in, in the community and even around statewide to see, hey, 
this, this is this is possible. What you know, I can do this. What else can I do? So that that's I think where the importance revolves around that, that aspect of it. I think when you constantly say like you're the first of somebody, like you're the first woman, or you're the first Jewish person, or you're the first black person, mm-hmm. it can come off sure, as sure, kind sure. of reductive, and it kind of papers over like other things that you want to do. But the reason why I'm personally very excited about this as somebody who used to live in Columbia and now lives in St. Louis is there's a lot of great things about Columbia that I remember. But one of the things that I also remember is the entire power business political structure was white while I was there. And I think that although your election is not going to magically make racism or racial barriers disappear in Columbia, it is an important step to have representation of a place with a large black population in a really prominent office. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think it's true. And I think it's important for people to see that, you know, especially when you, know, you talk to the Chamber of Commerce and you may be the only you know, person of color in the room and for the other people to see, hey, uh, you know, those black people here, they can succeed, they can get the job done. Uh, I think it kind of opens everyone's mind about how they think about race and other people and themselves. So it's I, de- I definitely think it's a positive step in the right direction. So let's talk about your first couple of months in the legislature. You were sworn in, I think, in late April or early May. Right. And then you kind of walked mm-hmm. into a fire hose of activity and controversy. I, I just want to know what it was like entering the legislature at the time that you did, because I thought that was kind of un- it's I think it was kind of unusual for someone to join like late in the mm-hmm, first mm-hmm. year of a two-year term and it, it, sure, your, your first your first couple of weeks were not inactive so to speak i'd like you to reflect on those if you could yeah absolutely it definitely was you know they say you know drinking from a fire hose and you know the interesting thing was jason you know after i was sworn in i went right down and started voting so it wasn't that i got you know i was sworn in i had you know three weeks to to bone up on everything it was ready to go and i had studied before so i knew before the swearing in uh, what was coming up, and, and I had access to a drive of different bills. So I had been studying, you know, looking at bills. I had been studying the process and procedures. So I, w- I was ready to go. But yeah, there's so much. And even if you had been there the whole time, you know, those last two weeks, I mean, it's bill after bill after bill. So, you know, you're there cramming the bills as they're coming up. You're looking at them. You're uh, trying to get a good uh, synthesis of them. I'm, I'm talking to other legislators. Um, so it, it was definitely exciting. I, I remember one time we had a, a caucus meeting and. We we're talking about all the things that were coming up and and what to watch out for and what to be ready for. And I remember one one of my colleagues said, "Yeah, I, you know, I hate to think what you're thinking, just because there was so much uh, going on." But it was definitely exciting, and I think that you know one thing that surprised me is you know there was really you know one of the things when you're running, you know, you're told, "Well, you're going to be in a super minority, you can't really get things done." Um, and I found that not to be true. Uh, there's a, you know a lot more negotiation uh, was going on. I mean, for example. Um, you know, the, the gas tax came up where, you know, they're raising the, the, the price of, of gas two and a half cents every year. And then, you know, and if you don't want to do that, you can take a picture of your receipt and get a refund, but that will pump, you know, over four or five years, about a billion dollars into the roads and bridges. So it was interesting because when that came up, the Republican caucus was split on that. And so they came to the Democrats and said, hey, late at night and said, you know, if, if you guys vote for this, we'll kill a provision or another bill dealing with protests because there was a, a bill dealing with um, making it a crime to protest in certain, in certain respects. 
Um, so there's a lot more horse trading going on. And it wasn't, you know, I kind of came in thinking it was this, the GOP was going to be this big monolithic group voting in a block, but that's really not the case. I mean, they're somewhat fractured. And so they come to the Dems and they need, they need cooperation to get things done. So uh, that was one of my takeaways from that. You know, an, another, you know, kind of aspect was it really had a feel like you were uh, in a basketball or football game locker room getting ready to go out onto the, onto the a court or the field. I mean, you know, because as a, as a Democrats, we don't control the, what comes up, what bills come up, right? These bills sit on the calendar and you don't know what's coming. So you're basically given a pep talk and a strategy beforehand, and you're anticipating certain bills that are going to come up to get debated. And then you show up and then they just start popping off the calendar and you know, the floor leader brings them up and then you have to get ready to go. So, um, you know, you really have to be organized. You have to be on, on top of everything and you have to be very prepared because um, there's this idea that everything's kind of planned out in advance, but really a lot of it's on the fly and you have to, you have to engage in the moment. Well, I did want to ask about some of the police and law enforcement and criminal justice bills that came up because uh, that was kind of, uh, the one that you mentioned was there was going to be a bill that was going to, I guess, provide like if you if you blocked, I guess, an interstate highway or a street enough times, you could actually mm-hmm. be convicted of a felony um, that didn't actually end sure. up passing. And this other bill that right. uh, passed that was a lot less controversial uh, that had a lot of different mm-hmm. provisions ended up making it past the finish line, as well as something that passed the last uh, day of session dealing with like a, a law enforcement bill of rights. What was kind of your view on mm-hmm. what the end result was? Because I think you mentioned this before. You've you've dealt with law enforcement policy as a non-legislator. I'd be mm-hmm. interested to hear what your impressions were of the legislation that passed when you were actually voting on some of these things. Well, it's interesting because, you know, so as I was campaigning, I talked about, so Senator Brian Williams introduced this crime bill to ban chokeholds. Uh, it doesn't allow officers to have sex while on duty with, you know, the people they're dealing with, which these, these are good provisions. And, and you know, while I was campaigning, I talked about that. So I, I talked about that bill. It's a good thing. She was like, what can you get done? I said, well, there's this bill moving and I would support it. Well, right when I got down to Jefferson City, Senator Williams actually called my legislative assistant or had someone that wanted to meet with me as that bill was moving. So I went and met with him and had already come out of the Senate and we talked about it. And I told him that I liked it and I was in support of it. And I liked the provisions. I mean, it's not perfect, but I thought it moved the ball forward as far as I thought where we needed to be in America, you know, especially, you know, coming on the heels of, of George Floyd. And, and there's a lot of momentum for this right now, because I, I've always said, you know, if you wait a year or two, it may not happen. And so then when I went back to the floor, it came up and it's interesting because there were some legislators on the Democratic side that weren't sure what to do and whether to vote for it. Um, and I remember talking to several legislators, Democrats saying, look, I think it's a good bill. I've talked to some women, I think we need to pass this and having different discussions and kind of being worried because I didn't want to show up and go against the majority of, of the caucus that they were going to go a different way on it. Um, especially, you know, so that that was that was my concern, but I felt like I'd already, so here I am, brand new. I already talked to Senator Williams and said I'm going to support this. But then there was some talk among the Democrats that maybe they weren't going to support it because you know there may have some been some issues everyone wasn't crazy about. So 
Um, like, for example, the fact that the fact that the, the residency requirement being uh, taken away for the Kansas sure. City Police Department was probably the biggest right. concern among a lot of Democrats. But but continue. Absolutely. And so but then, you know, we voted and, you know, I think just virtually every Democrat voted for it except maybe one or two. So it went through. But I it's interesting because being new, I immediately started to feel this pressure where you told one person you're going to do something. And I supported the bill. But then now I didn't want to show up and have everyone say, hey, why? Why is the new guy voting against or voting for this if we're against it, but it, it seemed to work out. So that's, you know, so you're immediately, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of torn, you know, you in the process, you know, you don't just, everyone's not always in lockstep. And so that's just something you have to deal with. What would be some things that you would want to see either in the next legislative session or in subsequent legislative sessions that kind of puts your experience as a lawyer into good use, so to speak? You know, you know, one thing I've been thinking about, and I've just, it's kind of been bouncing around in my head, you know, one of the issues in criminal law that I find frustrating is that if you, so if you take a case to trial and you win, it's over, right? The prosecutor can't bring charges against your client again. Uh, they're barred from doing that. However, throughout the regular process, they can dismiss the charges and refile them. And I've never felt that to be fair to a client. So for example, if you have a felony case, it has to go through either the person has to be indicted, the defendant has to be indicted from a grand jury, or the case goes to a preliminary hearing. And at that hearing, the state has to put on evidence to show that there's enough probable cause to move the case forward. And oftentimes you get to that stage and the prosecutors aren't ready, they don't have the evidence or the witnesses don't show up, or they're not interested in having the, you know, they're not interested in participating. And the judge will dismiss the case. Well, the state can then turn around and refile, and it starts the ball rolling all over again. And the, the person, the client will get arrested again and have to go through that whole process. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something about that, because I don't think that's fair. Because even, in, for example, in civil litigation, if I file a lawsuit against you and we're past the period of statute limitations, but I file it within the correct time filing period, I can dismiss and refile once, okay? I can't keep refiling the lawsuit against you over and over and over. I get one bite at the apple. And I think something like that should apply to the state because I don't think it's fair for the state to continually file charges against somebody, the same charges. They can dismiss and refile, dismiss and refile. They, you know, they just can keep doing that over and over. And I just don't think that's fair to a defendant. So that's something I'm, I'm thinking about, working on, maybe taking a look at. Um, but just general, you know, you know, draconian sentencing practices. I think we need to get away from that. I think the crime bill does a lot. Uh, it takes us in the right direction. And hopefully there's still, we still have a lot of momentum after the George Floyd case where people will have an appetite to actually pass this legislation. We'll be right back on Politically Speaking with State Representative David Tyson-Smith. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Representative David Tyson-Smith. He is a Democrat from Columbia. So I want to spend the second part of the show um, talking about some things that happened recently with the the special session on the FRA, the special session that will be coming in the Mm -hmm. future on congressional redistricting, and some of your other goals and priorities for office. So uh, as we're recording this podcast on July 6, 2021, I think we're about a week or two removed from a special session on the federal reimbursement allowance, which is a critical tax um, that places like hospitals put on themselves to help pay for the state Medicaid program. Um, 
This was a very divisive and controversial special session, mainly between Republicans. Mm -hmm. But it really seems like Democrats that wanted a so-called clean FRA got their wish in the sense Mm -hmm. that there was no uh, language included that, you know, banned Medicaid from reimbursing certain types of contraception. And there was also no language about saying Medicaid can't reimburse Planned Parenthood anymore. What was kind of your impressions of this special session and why do you think it went in the direction that it did? Yeah, this was interesting. So I was actually on a freshman legislative bus tour around the state while the Senate was meeting. And so we were listening. So the freshman legislators every year, you know, when they're freshmen, they're taken around and they're, we visit different places around the state of Missouri, Boeing, you know, historically black colleges, um, centers that help people with developmental disabilities. And so we were on the bus listening to the Senate t- debating this. But then we would go into, we, for example, while this, we, we knew we were going to have, the House was going to go back the following week. So the Senate's debating this. We're hearing these arguments um, about, you know, tying, you know, the FRA to, you know, not funding Planned Parenthood and whatnot. So we're listening to this, but then we'd stop off and talk to various people. And it was really interesting because while this was going on, we the we went and visited this facility called Ponybird, where they basically help people with severe physical disabilities. And if they don't do that, these people will might be in a hospital on feeding tubes or whatnot, but they take these young people to concerts and do different things, but they rely on state and federal funding. So they needed the FRA to pass. And just to see the fear in some of these workers' eyes that, you know, if this doesn't pass, what that could mean to the people in the facility. And I don't know, it's it kind of a moment of truth. As I looked at, I looked at one woman who was in a wheelchair and she couldn't really move. And I don't, I'm not sure she could speak that well. And I'm, I'm standing there and I'm just kind of watching her. And, and it just, you know, my, my heart really went out to her. And I thought, geez, you know, the, the, the effect this has on people's lives and how we're playing games with the FRA to get a political point across. And I just, I'm looking at her and I just, I, I was sick to my stomach that this was happening and this was being drug out. And at the same time, the governor said, hey, look, if this doesn't pass, he's withholding $725 million from the budget. I mean, that's going to go to education, healthcare issues. And so I just went back on the bus and I'm sitting in the back and just thinking about her and just, just feeling sick that this was going on. Um, and I told one of the workers, she said, oh, so please, she, this worker told me, she said, I don't care about politics. I want this to pass. I just, I want this to pass. And so, because of the detrimental effect it could have on her facility if this doesn't get passed. And so I told her, I said, look, we're, we're gonna pass it. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I know, I'm, I know I'm just one person, but I just, I felt like, you know, this is something that had to be done. So going back into the session, so we were called up the next week and I was confident it was gonna pass because, you know, there were some conversations that, you know, there was a way that it was going to be done. They were going to have a clean one and then one, a clean FRA, then an FRA that wasn't clean. And so, you know, the, the game plan was to obviously, and I think everybody was on board and a deal was pretty much cut that the clean one was going to go through. Um, but yet the GOP wanted to bring up this other house bill two, which was the, the FRA that was not clean. They were going to debate it and talk about it. But it wasn't going to go anywhere because the Senate wasn't coming back to hear it. So it was really a dog and pony show. A lot of it was theater. So when we showed up on Wednesday, they brought up House Bill 2 first, debated it, talked about it, and it passed. 
but it wasn't going anywhere. And I think everybody knew it wasn't going anywhere. It was just so they could go back to their base and say, hey, look, you know, we fought for it. It's not our fault. But that was kind of the understanding before it all started. And so then when Senate Bill 1 came up, which was a clean FRA, no one said a word and it passed. Yeah. Right. So all those, all the, you know, people on the right, there were, you know, why, why didn't they say anything? Because that was kind of the understanding. Basically, they wanted to get their day to talk about it. Uh, House Bill 2, you know, the FRA that wasn't clean to, to talk about all the problems with, you know, abortion or whatnot. But they knew at the end of the day it wasn't going to go anywhere. Well, I, this is kind of off topic from the FRA, but it's still on topic when it comes to Medicaid. I, I don't know if the I think that the vote not to fund Medicaid expansion ha- in the House happened before you were sworn in. As we're recording this now, there's this really important court case that's going to be argued before the Missouri Supreme Court on July 13th. And whether or not Medicaid expansion actually happens really depends on the Supreme Court at this point. What do you think the posture of your legislative colleagues is going to be if the court says you don't have a choice, you have to sign these people up and Medicaid expansion happens? Well, I I think it needs to happen. I mean, I think the court needs to sign with the citizens. Um, And then the legislature obviously will have to fund. I mean, there's money there. It's, you know, if they if the court says it has to happen, then they will start you know, treating people. It's just a matter of the money will eventually run out. Um, so I, I'm, I'm assuming that if the, if, if the court says, you know, these people have to be treated and these extra people, you know, qualify as the, the voters wanted, uh, pursuant to the initiative petition, I think that the legislator will have to just fund it. Uh, the, 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 the appropriate appropriations will have to be made. That's the sense. I don't. I don't think we're going to go. I mean, I think it'll be the same situation. I think they're going to go back and let it dry up. You know, I think. That, I think that will be the the death knell to those who don't want Medicaid expansion. I mean, they will have to do it at that point. I want to talk about the next special session that will be coming in the next several months. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. I even asked Governor Parson about it, and I, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be probably sometime in the fall, possibly the winter, but that's congressional redistricting. What's your expectations about how congressional redistricting is going to go? I've said on other shows, Democrats don't have a lot of leverage. Like the Republicans can do whatever they want if if they want to, but there's probably going to be a lot of divides about how they want to structure certain districts. I think that there's a lot of uneasiness even among Republicans about going after the 5th Congressional District, which is held by Emanuel Cleaver. But I think a lot of Democrats are on guard about that um, just because there's a lot of pressure nationally to m- get as many Republican seats as they can to get back uh, the U.S. House. What's kind of your general expectations about what's going to happen when you return for Congressional Redistricting Special Session? It's going to be a fight. I mean, that's for sure. and. Um... You know, we've already, I've already had a meeting about this um, with some of the fellow Democrats about what to do and what to expect. So I think we're, we're in for a long haul. Uh, it's going to be a slugfest, but I think I mean, we've got some ideas about how to do it. I mean, some of these, I, mean, I don't really want to publicly talk about, but I think, you know, I mean, because, you know, we're in the super minority, it's going to be very difficult, but I, you know, I think we've got somewhat of a plan about how to handle this. You know, a lot of this is computerized. So, uh, you know, computers kind of come up with several different models and then we can, you know, advocate for one model or another. So that's generally how it's done. And then we can kind of go from there. You know, there's, you know, 
because I don't want to get into too much detail, but I, I do know that the Democrats work very hard to make sure that they're treated fairly. And they're, you know, we've already met about this. And, um, you know, I don't, I'm obviously not overly optimistic, but I don't feel like it's, they're, they're just going to get hammered. Yeah. Either, well, if it, that makes sense. no, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that I think Democrats have to do in this state is pr- present alternatives. One of the things that I noticed mm-hmm. in Illinois is that Illinois Republicans were complaining loudly about how they're going to just get completely screwed over by the Democrats there. And I would say that Illinois has an arguably more partisan process than Missouri because they also draw state legislative districts there. And in Missouri, either a bipartisan commission or appellate judges are going to do that. But, you know, they they didn't present any alternatives about what they thought was, quote unquote, fair. And I think that that you have to be a little bit nuanced because there are some instances where Democrats and Republicans can work together for mutually mutual interests. Like, you know, maybe they want to keep Emanuel Cleaver's district whole. So the surrounding districts are Republican. I'm sure there are a lot of Democrats are like, that's not the working together that I really want here. I want as many competitive districts as possible. But I just don't think that that's a realistic Mm -hmm. option for Missouri Democrats. I think the best case scenario is that you have two safe Democratic districts. And if you get that, that may be a victory for you all. Maybe you have a different perspective, but that's kind of my observation. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And I think we, you know, it's interesting, as you mentioned, how you have these two safe districts, you know, and that's kind of how it was done the last time. You know, Democrats, you know, we're going to give you these, but then we're taking all these others as opposed to have having things more competitive. And um, I, I don't think anyone really likes the, obviously, if you're in the safe district, that's great. But I'd like to see districts more competitive. And I think people have a fundamental, you know, people who are aware um, get the sense of fundamental unfairness. And I think, you know, the pendulum may be shifting a little bit. I mean, I think most citizens is sitting back and looking at this are not going to want to tolerate, you know, especially with the, the Medicaid issues, Medicaid expansion, the problems with the FRA. I mean, I think at some point I've talked to several Republicans and there's a sense of, you know, can we hold this together? Not everything lasts. They're almost like this little nerve. There's a nervousness that, you know, hey, we've we've done run all these things too that have high approval ratings, but now we're down to things that people really aren't supporting and you know, will the supermajority last forever and will it last the way, you know, in its present form? And so maybe now, you know, it's not going to go great as far as redistricting, but I think down the road, I think citizens are going to say, you know, enough already. And maybe we want things to be a little more competitive and things a little more fair. In the last couple of minutes we have, what are some of the major issues other than what we've talked about that you really want to hone in on as a Missouri House member? voting. You know, one of the big problems is these oppressive voting laws that are moving through state legislatures all over the country. We even see at the national level. Uh, We need to stop these oppressive voting uh, laws that they're making their way to the House. Fortunately, uh, this year, the the right wasn't able to pass a lot of these draconian, a lot of this draconian legislation that, you know, requires photo IDs. Uh, You know, the GOP has realized that if everybody votes, they can't win elections. And so, you know, they are, you know, they're feeding into this big lie that Trump really won the election and saying we need voter integrity. There is not widespread voter fraud in the United States. There's not widespread voter fraud in the state of Missouri. And so we need to stop this 
these repressive laws from, from getting passed. So that's the number one priority. I think we're in danger of losing our democracy if we, as we know it, if we don't rein these, these laws and it will basically take away people's right to vote to make it more difficult for people to vote. So the next session moving forward, that would be my priority is to make sure we push back against this repressive voting legislation. Do you think that there's a possibility that you that Democrats can stop government issued photo ID requirement from from passing or would your strategy be you let that pass but you also try to get some of the things that you want on that legislation like opening up uh absentee balloting or in-person absentee more or getting rid of the excuse system for absentee voting like what's kind of your mindset on that because the reason I'm asking that is Republicans have wanted a government issued photo ID requirement since I started covering politics in Missouri in 2005, 2006. And they may see next year as the year to finally accomplish it. Um, What would be kind of your thought process on on that horse trading proposal that I just mentioned? Well, I mean, yes, you can add amendments. I mean, my concern is if, you know, these these bills are going to be loaded up with uh, so many counter amendments or that I don't know that that might work because they might offset each other. Here's my thought about this. I think the Democrats, I mean, we need to be organized. And when the Republicans are trying to pass major legislation that they need to pass, and they come to the Democrats and say, hey, we need you on this. Will you vote for X, Y, or Z? And we'll kill, like this last session, we'll kill the, the protest language or, or the, the bill. Say, no, we want this voting legislation killed. And so, you know, they're, they're stopping everything and putting the brakes on the legislate on most on major legislation until they get their way. We saw that with the FRA. The Democrats just need to be consolidated and strategic. And when they come to the Democrats, because they always need the Democrats. I mean, even with um, the Wayfair fix, you know, they need Democrat votes for that. And so when they come to the Democrats this time, as opposed to taking, you know, a little thing here, a little thing there, say no, you know, kill this voting bill, or it's not going to pass in its current form. And just take us take a strong stand. We're not going to work with you until this gets done. Because the reality is, if this gets done, we're in trouble. I mean, we're you think it's bad now? Um, I mean, when I was campaigning, I talked to a guy. I was in the Douglas Park area. It's probably African American neighborhood. And this gentleman said to me, we "We're talking about where his polling place was." And he said, "Do I need a photo ID?" And I said, "Well, not now. You don't." But I knew if I said yes, he wouldn't have been able to vote for me. So, and I think the GOP is counting on that. So that that needs to be a priority. This can't be just one of many issues that are important to the Democrats. We have to go in and say, this is the main issue, and we're going to fight and put all our ammunition and our defenses on this main issue. Well, Representative, thank you so much for joining me uh, this afternoon. We'll have to have you back in the months and years to come, and we appreciate your time. For all of our stories, stlpr.org. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you either on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web so they can keep up on your legislative endeavors? Absolutely. I'm on Twitter, DTS4Mo, uh, DavidTysonSmith.com on the web. I've got a campaign page. But yeah, I'm out there. So um, look me up and you can reach out to me anytime you like. You can call my office in Jefferson City, and I'll return your call or respond to your email. Thank you very much, and until next time, so long.
from St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.